that I shall never see. A poem lovely as a tree. When Governor Jerry Brown pronounced an end to the drought emergency last month, but not to the possibility of another drought, it would have been just like him to quote another eminent Californian, the naturalist John Muir, who said that we all travel the Milky Way together, trees and men. Not enough trees, though, which is why making the phrase urban forest come true matters. That's where Igor Lachan can help out. He's an expert tree advisor with the University of California's Cooperative Extension, a kind of Johnny Appleseed of urban forestry, planting the seeds of knowledge about what trees can do for us. And it's high time to ask what we can do for our trees. As you've been watching and reading these past couple of weeks, what is your reaction when people say, yay, the drought is over? Uh, my reaction is the same. Yay, the drought is over. Uh, we now need to get back to maintaining our urban trees, which I think we've neglected a bit during the drought. And I think we're, we're witnessing the end of the old paradigm that where we were trying to just remove the water from our urban surfaces. And we are slowly beginning to transition into the new paradigm where we try to use that stormwater as a resource. Now, trees are regarded by some people as a luxury. They say, well, this is practically a desert. I mean, trees, after all, don't grow in the desert. What is your rejoinder to that? Number one, trees are not a luxury. Urban trees are an absolute necessity. Trees improve lives in, in cities, from improvement in health to reduction in crime to an increase in property values. All of these things are dependent on living, healthy urban trees. Now, when it comes to trees in Southern California, I, I've lived in Southern California for a few years myself, and Los Angeles is not actually a desert. And there is a small but important difference between not a desert and a desert. And not only that, Los Angeles is an artificial ecosystem at this point. So we really should think very hard what we want that artificial ecosystem to look like. So you talk about the benefits of trees, and you cite many things. First of all, trees as a benefit to public health. Yes, the, that was the famous study that showed that patients who were recovering from surgery and had a view of trees required less painkiller than those who had a view of just a brick wall. And this actually influenced hospital design to a small degree, uh, but unfortunately hasn't really trickled out into the broader field of, of architecture and design quite yet. Humans have a preference for view of nature in general. Having trees as part of your landscape, something you, you look out on when you, when you lift your gaze from the computer, makes a pretty substantial difference. I also wonder whether it has to do that our forebears from many multiple hundreds of thousands of years past lived in trees as a safety measure, and trees give you a sense of security. There are theories in landscape architecture. One of them is this thing called the prospect refuge theory that says that we prefer these landscapes that have some open space and some trees. It perhaps subconsciously reminds us of uh, our very, very, very distant ancestors. And it's then not surprising that when you look at a lot of classically designed landscapes, it's not just a sort of dense forest, but it's also not 
plain open spaces, this mix of trees, open space, and paths leading somewhere. There is another study about how having trees around a house influences babies' birth weights. Babies are less likely to be underweight if the mother was surrounded, was lived in a place surrounded by trees. But it's also very important when we talk about support, funding for urban forestry, because if we think of urban forestry as part of our health infrastructure, even even as a very, very small part of our health infrastructure, it suddenly becomes very cost-effective to have healthy, living urban trees. What kind of numbers are we talking about with low birth weight babies and pregnant women who live surrounded by trees? The numbers, the actual decrease uh, in the sort of problematic low birth weight was very small, but if you think about how difficult it is for both a single family but also for the entire society to then care for those babies, um, suddenly that very small effect becomes very important. If you want to be cold-blooded about it, you can say, look, plant trees to save health care costs. And, and uh, I, to be honest with you, I do want to be cold-blooded and say that because we know that our ability to influence some of these public health outcomes is quite limited. And trees are one of those things that provide so many different benefits that having this public health benefit on top of all the other things, I think, makes the case for trees that much more compelling. There were also findings about trees increasing housing value, resale value, and cutting crime. When you have trees, and these were specifically street trees or front yard trees, the price of houses goes up. The benefit of a tree leaks out to the neighboring houses. In other words, if you have a street tree in front of your house and I'm your neighbor, my house also appreciates in value because of your street tree. Former Los Angeles Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa pledged to plant a million trees. And when we talk about public trees, I just think of tree abuse, trees that are planted and neglected, trees that are put in the wrong places. Well, we really need to do a better job of planting the trees properly and then once they're planted, caring for them. And I think one thing that's come out of the large-scale tree plantings that have that were popular in the last decade is exactly that realization, that it's not so much how many trees are given away at, a, at an event, but it's more how many trees actually survive to grow to a reasonable size, provide benefits, and then not cause too many problems. And to the credit of our policymakers, they've recognized this. The one thing we've learned is that trees do best in places and in situations and, and during times when there's good cooperation between residents, community benefit organizations, and municipal governments. We're trying to not only plant trees that do well today, but we're also trying to anticipate climate change and, and anticipate what kinds of conditions we might be facing 10 or 20 years from now. And this is a challenge with urban trees in general. They are a very, very long-term investment. So um, we are in some ways looking at the legacy of urban forestry programs from 50 to 100 years ago. That's why our cities look like they do. Did the city of Los Angeles pick the wrong trees to plant 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 years ago? <laughs> you know, that's a bit of a trick question. And I, I hesitate to say, because it's very easy to look at a single tree somewhere and say, wow, what were they thinking? 
certainly we have we we can do better. Let's let's put it that way. And I think we're over time we're gradually learning to do better. I think everyone's familiar with those parkway strips of land between the street and the sidewalk. You've been working on something called bioswales, making those strips of land into places that can hold water and nourish trees. So when you look at a typical residential street, especially in low-density residential neighborhoods, you have the roadway, then you have the curb, and after that you have that green strip or park strip in which trees are usually planted, then the sidewalk, and then the front yard. We're looking for opportunities to manage stormwater without sending it to the storm drain. And a place where we could do that are these former green strips, which can be, in essence, excavated, soil replaced with the special biotreatment soil mix, and then replanted with vegetation that's suitable. So yes, I think we'll be seeing more and more of our green strips replaced with bioswales. I don't know if you've been in California long enough to remember when Ronald Reagan talked about trees as creating pollution. I do know that quote. It's quite famous among uh, plants, biologists, and foresters. Uh, The quote is technically correct, but is highly misleading in that in our urban environment, pollution from trees amounts for a vanishingly small fraction of the overall air pollution. Yes, there are some trees that emit more, there are some trees that emit less, but again, when you look at your urban air quality, biogenic emissions are not something we need to lose sleep over. I know that there's no such thing as a bad tree, but there are some trees that are better than others. You talk about a tree benefits calculator that cities can use, individuals can use to find what tree is best for where they live. So the U.S. Forest Service has developed a whole set of tree benefits calculators. This is all online. They're calculators that you can use if you're an individual homeowner or maybe you're thinking of replacing your landscape, and the calculator will help you place your tree. But there are also calculators that will help you calculate benefits for an entire neighborhood or an entire city. And these are all based now on geographic information systems, and you can typically see your house on a satellite image or see your neighborhood, just click in the trees that you have or the trees that you'd like to add, and the computer does its magic and tells you the benefits. Uh, and in fact, it breaks it down for you from energy to stormwater reduction to carbon sequestration. Mm-hmm. So in the next few years, I think we'll have uh, uh, even more comprehensive tree benefit calculators that, that'll help us really make the best decision. What cities do this right? Cities in California that have managed to preserve their legacy canopy. For example, Sacramento is famous for having a large canopy of old trees. And through an integrated approach from their local community benefit organization and their municipal government, they've managed to preserve a lot of that canopy. A number of cities have started large-scale tree planting programs that have morphed into large-scale tree care programs. And I would actually point out Los Angeles as one of the cities that I think successfully is pivoting from a focus on tree planting to a focus on tree care. 1769 in August, when the Portola expedition came through Los Angeles, they talked about all the water in the streams and the foliage. Has the landscape changed that much? Have we altered it so much? Yes, unfortunately, we have. Um, We have covered the ground that would have absorbed 
the rainfall. We've covered it with surfaces like asphalt, pavement, that don't let the water infiltrate. So right there, you lose that entire ecosystem that surrounds streams. Uh, and that's where you would have found a lot of trees originally in California. We also have made our environment much warmer, and this is the infamous urban heat island effect. So we have changed the environment quite drastically. The question now is, how do we make the necessary changes to allow those large old trees to survive? The Barbara Walters legend is that she simply asked Catherine Hepburn, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? But here's what really happened. I'm a very strong, I'm a, a become a sort of, you know, thing. What? I don't know what, you know, sort you of tree like or something. Yes, yes. well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a sort of, no, I, I, and that's something the people have created. What kind of a tree are you? Or do you think you're a tree now? So I won't ask you what kind of tree you would be, but what kind of tree do you like? I, You know, I have no preference whatsoever. I, I walked down uh, Market Street in San Francisco this morning, and I think it's probably one of the toughest environments for a tree anywhere, I think, in the world. And there are these very ordinary-looking London plane trees that were newly planted, and they're absolutely beautiful. The contrast between a very, very, very urban scene, if you know what I mean, and these very nice-looking trees. If you saw them in a, in a planting in a forest, maybe you'd say they're quite ordinary. But when they're in a place like downtown San Francisco, National District San Francisco, they look really extraordinary. So my favorite tree is any tree that is making it in a tough urban environment. Igor Lakan, much appreciated. Thank you, Pat. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered by Tim French and Todd G. Levin and edited by Levin. The music is Paul Robeson singing the Joyce Kilmer poem Trees set to music on the Verve label and children singing a traditional Johnny Appleseed song. The 1981 Barbara Walters clip is from ABC. I am Pat Morrison.